in ministry here, and Wayne and Val, if you're watching from Calgary uh, this morning, uh, welcome to you as well, and to all those who have joined us online, and to each one who is here. I'm, I'm seeing that it's a, it's a good-sized uh, house today, and so uh, if you're wondering if we have a plan in place to kind of uh, start thinking about uh, a second service, we do, and so this is actually a good indication as we, as we kind of start to move towards that. But uh, again, good morning and welcome here to uh, Westwood Church. Um, our giving, uh, you know, we just, we, we worshipped uh, through some songs, uh, lifting high Jesus, our Savior, and we, that's part of what we do as the people of God. We we, we come to hear from what God has to say through His Word. Uh, for us, it's in the English language. For other people around the world, uh, as we just heard from Wayne and Val, it's from um, you know, many other different languages. And so that's part of our, our worship of God. And, and we also give, um, not just of money, but of time and of our gifts and, and of our very lives. We, we give to this God who we believe is worthy of all of our praise. And so I just want to say thank you for your generosity because part of your giving goes to support uh, people like Wayne and Val who are, who are working hard on the field. Um, it also uh, has, your generosity has been shown through, um, you know, the gifts that uh, we've been uh, receiving for uh, sending kids to camp at Westwood Elementary School. Uh, sometimes we wonder, you know, if, if what we're doing is making any, any difference. Um, you know, I, I certainly ask that. Maybe you do as well. And it's just, you know, it's just part of life. And uh, we, we, got a, we got an amazing um, email this last week from, uh, through Dave Horton, the director at Nest Lake Bible Camp. They received it and sent it on to us because we were kind of a part of that. And uh, this, is a, this is a note. This is a note from, from a parent of, of a a child, actually, probably it sounds like several children who go to Westwood Elementary. And this, this is what they say. And they send this note to Dave, and they said, I just wanted to say how blessed my daughters and I and my husband feel that you guys in Westwood Church came together to send the kids of Westwood School to camp. I was saving and saving and was going to tell my kids in Christmas that they'd be going to summer camp, but then I got the email from the school about free camp, and it just blew me away. It's absolutely the best Christmas surprise I could have hoped for, and I just have no words. It's so important for me to send my kids to camp, but we're lower income, so you just don't realize how huge this is for us. Thank you. Is that not amazing? (laughs) It's amazing. That's, you know, that's not to... It's not to lift ourselves up or pat ourselves on the back. It's to, it's to simply say that, that our, our generosity, our giving, our worship um, makes a difference. And so, um, so that's awesome, and, uh, and we say thanks for that. Um, uh, today, after the service, there's also a, um, there's also a, book, a book brunch. Uh, some of you have been aware of it for a while. Uh, it's part of a, a discipleship uh, kind of plan that some of our ministry leaders are a part of. And so today, um, after the service, uh, there's, a, there's a lunch and there's a book brunch. It's not just to kind of talk about any book or, um, you know, just to kind of uh, read a book. It's to, it's to talk about what God is doing as, uh, as this group goes through, um, goes through certain uh, books. And this one um, by John Mark Comer. And so um, if that is you today, if you've signed up for that, we just encourage you to be a part of that. And if you'd like to be a part of it, um, there is space for you. 
Um, so, Lord, we just uh, today we come to you and we say thank you for who you are, for what you've done, what you are doing uh, in our midst and through us. We're grateful that uh, you choose to use us in spite of our, our flaws, our imperfections, and uh, in spite of uh, what we have or what we don't have, and you continue to, um, to work through us. And so we're grateful for that. We thank you for our ministry partners today. We, we pray for Wayne and for Val and for the ministry that you've called them to as they work with people on the field, as they translate your word into all these different, these different languages together with their uh, partners at Wycliffe. Lord, we ask that you would bless them today richly. Um, we thank you too for the ministry that you've called us here in, in Prince George in our own city. Um, there's, there's much to be grateful for and we think specifically of this, this project to send uh, kids to, to, to camp this summer. We thank you for that relationship for so many decades with Nest Lake, and we pray that you would continue to draw children, draw families to yourself as, uh, as together um, we invite the harvest. And so, Lord, today we just lift your name up and we thank you that you're here with us. Uh, would you meet us and speak to us through your word as we open it today? For we believe it does change our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. So at the beginning of this year, we're, uh, we're focusing on prayer. We're taking the next six weeks and we're focusing on prayer. I, I think that a lot of churches actually find the new year a uh, time to, to do something like this. Um, uh, you know, we, we have not for the last few years, and, and that's kind of just how it's gone. But, um, you know, frankly, without prayer, um, our church is but a hollow shell. Um, without prayer, um, each one of us, um, for, as, as disciples of Jesus, we, we, we're just powerless. We are empty. We, we do not have what is required to do what God asks us to do, to do what our church wants us to do. Um, it's, we, need, uh, we need prayer uh, you know, to be the engine of our lives. A number of years ago, our, our board of elders, together with our uh, pastoral staff, they, um, they uh, spent a, a weekend together and we were, uh, we were doing some equipping together as, as a leadership team. And together we agreed that, um, that prayer needed to become a much greater priority for us as leaders and as a church family if we wanted to see God uh, do a deep work within us. And so we've been working at it intentionally. But, but it is a process, right? Um, it's a process. It's, it's not perfect. Um, certainly that's been my personal experience. You know, you take two steps forward. And then you take one step back. Um, that's kind of how it goes. You leap ahead because of some kind of powerful experience with God, something that he's taught you, something that he has kind of led you into. And then, you know, you slip into forgetfulness or, or apathy or you wonder if God is, is there and if he's, actually, if he's actually listening, if he's somebody that you can actually um, talk to and, and engage with in a relationship and I think, I think this ebb and flow and that kind of a journey is, is a lot of people's experience where, uh, where prayer doesn't necessarily come, come easy or maybe there's questions about uh, how you go about it uh, or maybe even as foundational as 
why should a person pray anyways? Like, why, why would a disciple of Jesus um, be somebody who wants to pray? And if that's the case with you, if you're asking some of those questions, if you're wondering today, wow, like, you know, like I say I'm a follower of Jesus, and I know that prayer is supposed to be a significant part of my life or a, or a core part of my life, and yet I kind of do this, and I'm all over the map, and sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. You know what? You're, you're in good company right? Like, you can look at the person next to you and go, hey, you're in, you're in good company. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, but whoever you are, whatever your story is, I hope that together as a church, we can take some steps forward in our relationship with God, and as, both individually and also as a church, as we press into prayer. Now, what exactly is prayer? I mean, you kind of got to start somewhere, right? What exactly is this thing that we call prayer? And real simply, if I could put it real simply, I would simply say this. Prayer is communing with the creator of the cosmos. Prayer is communing with the creator of the cosmos. Notice I didn't say prayer is talking to God, it's, it's not talking to God, because if that's all one does, is that really a communion between two people? Is that really relationship? Or, if a person believes that prayer is just asking God for things, well, that gets old pretty quick, right? Because the one being asked, it's like, are you really interested in a relationship? If all you're doing is asking for stuff? No, prayer is communion with the one who created you. With the one who created me. It's it's a language used in relation to God. And, And as in all language and in all communication, there is speaking, for sure, Right? And sometimes, sometimes speaking is done in clear, thoughtful, logical sentences. And sometimes speaking is done in whispers that are barely audible. Sometimes it's in loud shouting. And sometimes, Sometimes there's groans that we can't not even express, stuff that's going on within us that we can't even express when we don't know what to say. And the Bible says that in times of weakness and in times of struggle, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know how to respond to what's going on around us and to the life that we're experiencing, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? We don't know what to say. We're struggling in life. All kinds of stuff is going on around us. We, we, we want to believe that someone out there is listening to us, and while we can't articulate or manufacture the words, God's Spirit can, does, and intercedes on our behalf. Amazing. But in language, there's also listening. Right? There's listening in a relationship. There's pondering what the other person is saying, reflecting on it, thinking about it, and giving feedback. There's conversing. 
Sometimes there's questioning. Maybe there's even arguing, wrestling with the other person. See, these are all aspects of language. And if you looked at the book of Psalms, in the, in the, in the Bible, uh, there, there's a book called the Psalms. It's in the Old Testament. It's the largest book in the Scriptures. It is a wonderful example of what prayer with our Creator is like. And some days, prayer looks like awe and wonder. Wow! You're so amazing, God. Life couldn't be better. I am so glad that I got up today. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's some days when it's, it's despair and sorrow. And you wish you'd rather stayed in bed. And you're not even sure if you want to see tomorrow. Some days, it's anger at other people, and it's disappointment with God because of how life is unfolding or things, you know, expectations weren't met. And in fact, if if we understand prayer as communing with God, it has to go hand in hand with reading the scriptures because God has revealed himself to his people, to his creation. God has revealed himself through his word, the scriptures, so that we can know who God is, we can know what he's like, and we can know how he wants to lead us, how he wants to guide us. So so we actually get to know him as we soak in his word. Without, without the scriptures, without God's word, one's prayer life, I can guarantee, one's prayer life becomes really thin. Because you're just you're kind of regurgitating and pulling up all kinds of stuff that maybe you've rehearsed for years and years and years. So, so, so why is prayer significant then? In light of what I just said, why is prayer significant for a disciple of Jesus and for a church family like ours? It's this. To experience a full, all-encompassing relationship with the God of the universe who loves and desires a relationship with you. That's why it's important. We we get to experience an unbelievable relationship with with God, the one of the universe, the one who has created you. He loves you and desires uh, uh, to, to, uh, to have a friendship, to have a relationship with you. And so, so prayer becomes a vehicle that allows us to do that. And the disciples of Jesus, they, they learned this firsthand from their teacher who lived in deep communion with his heavenly father. The, the same God of the universe, the cosmos that created you and me. Like Jesus, Jesus had this deep communion with the same God. And the disciples, they saw, they saw Jesus live this out. They saw that his life was different than every other religious leader that they knew around them. When Jesus taught, there was an authority about him that was totally foreign to the other teachers of the day. When Jesus prayed, there was a different kind of prayer that was going on. His was a different kind of prayer. There was relationship. There was honesty. There was vulnerability. There was humility with this person to whom Jesus prayed. 
Um, One day it's a large crowd of people, thousands of people. They're hungry, they're tired, huge crowd. They've been, been listening to Jesus for days and days. The food source has run out. They're hungry. There's very little left on the shelves of, of that hillside. And the disciples' first response is to send them away. Then Jesus has them gather up those few loaves and fishes that were available. He prays over it. He directs his disciples to serve the food. And he, he teaches them dependence on the one who provides for all of our needs. On another occasion... They're faced with uh, a challenging ministry situation. An individual is, is being controlled by the demonic realm. All the verbal rebukes and the shouts and the whatever those disciples were doing did absolutely nothing. And Jesus, he comes along and he teaches them that God is more powerful than the demonic realm. And through prayer, as a part of one's spiritual protective shield, Jesus teaches them that the enemy flees. You don't have to shout and call down curses. You, you do need to be one who understands who God is and his relationship over all of creation and his power over it. And you can have this relationship, and, and the enemy flees. On other occasions, the sick are healed, blind receive their sight, lame people walk again. This is what the disciples are learning about their, their teacher. Um, Jesus, he would often sneak away while it was, it was dark and early. Why would he do that? Well, he wanted to spend time with his heavenly Father to pray. Mark's gospel says, you know, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he he prayed. When all the other religious leaders were kind of found at the market square, wanting to be seen, wanting to be heard, Jesus is looking for isolation and time to be with his heavenly Father. You see, taking time, shutting out the distractions and the noise of life, they they were hallmarks of the life of Jesus in communing with his heavenly Father. Um, You see, Jesus' disciples saw their teacher live and breathe on prayer. And before you say, yeah, but Jesus was God, true, But let's remember that Jesus was also fully man. Fully man. Yet his relationship with his heavenly father was deep and personal and powerful. So here's this group of average ordinary men. These disciples of Jesus. They're folks like you and me. These guys are not prayer warriors and prayer rock stars, but they had a hunger for something greater. They saw what was going on around them. They saw the teachers of the day, but they saw their teacher, Jesus. They knew his life was different, and one day after they witnessed their teacher praying, they asked Jesus a question. And if you have your Bibles, this is where we're going to spend our time, Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses. Starting at verse 1, 
Luke writes, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, of all the, of all the requests that Jesus' disciples might have asked if they had the opportunity, they asked if he could teach them to pray. Would that be your question? Would that be my question if we had Jesus standing among us? Do you think that these disciples might have been attracted to what they saw in the relationship that Jesus had between him and his heavenly father? Openness. Transparency. Vulnerability. Warmth. Gratitude. Pleading encouragement. Like, what did those disciples see? And that must have been very, very attractive for them to ask this question, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, let me kind of just divert for a moment. Because in Luke's gospel, I think that Luke, who was a historian, very, very interested in detail and and thought process, I think he has placed this question that the disciples had for Jesus, I think he's placed it strategically as he prepared this gospel. You see, just prior to the disciples' question, Luke records the story about the Good Samaritan, and and the central question that's posed in the Good Samaritan is, how do I treat people who are different than me? How do I treat people who are different than me? Will I love all people regardless of who they are and what they've done? And you know what, church? That is an issue of discipleship, growing to be more like Jesus in loving all people, whoever they are, whatever their story. Right? But then Luke follows it up by writing about the story of Mary and Martha. And both of those ladies, they loved Jesus deeply, but Mary, she was okay with kind of letting some housework slide so she could be with Jesus. Martha simply couldn't let go of that long to-do list And she was prepared to put personal discipleship with Jesus on the back burner so that her house was put together. That might sting for some because taking time to be with Jesus, even when life is not as organized or as put together as you would like, is also an issue of personal discipleship. There will be many, many times in life where we have to let stuff go. Why? So that we can attend to simply being with Jesus. Because he asks us to. Then Luke arranges his gospel account in such a way that emphasizes that disciples who follow him, disciples who are taught by him, who observe his very life, ask if he would teach them to pray. And so I wonder if Luke is emphasizing something else in our growth as disciples, and it's this. Prayer is a necessary spiritual discipline to be learned. To be learned for the follower of Jesus in the discipleship process. Just as treating people who are different than you are, loving them regardless of what their story is, 
Justice taking time for Jesus is significant and requires diligent attention. So too is the discipline of prayer. And, and friend, it's such a hard discipline. It's a hard discipline. No one comes out the womb a prayer warrior. No one, like, show me somebody who is a prayer rock star right from the very beginning of their relationship with Jesus. Maybe they're out there, but hard to imagine. We grow in it as we walk with Jesus, as we learn from him, as we're taught from him. Like his disciples, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Uh, Tim Keller, a New York pastor, he said that one of the first things that we learn in attempting to pray is our spiritual emptiness. He says we're so used to being empty that we don't recognize the emptiness as such until we start to try to pray. So the disciples asked Jesus this question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus did not get angry at his disciples' question. He didn't tell them, guys, you are pathetic. Man, like, can't you get with the program? Don't you... Don't you know this stuff already? You've been with me for weeks, for months, maybe a couple of years. No. Jesus didn't do that at all. And he didn't ignore their request. What did he do? He did exactly what the disciples asked of him. He taught them some basics about prayer. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew's gospel records it slightly longer, and we've come to know this as the Lord's Prayer. What did Jesus mean when he kind of was telling his disciples this and teaching them this prayer? Is, Is this how they're supposed to pray? Is this a prescriptive prayer? that we're supposed to you know, use all the time? Is it a special kind of prayer that we pull out on some you know, occasion? Or is it something else? And I, I believe that Jesus is forcing us and forcing his disciples to ask some foundational questions about prayer being a learned process. Something that we grow into and grow up into. And so over the next, next five weeks, we're going to learn different aspects of prayer. If prayer is a learned process, if it's something to be taught by Jesus, our our master and our teacher, then what are those things that we need to learn and how can we grow in this? And so we're going to look at just a couple of things. It's not going to be everything there is to know or to learn about prayer, but we're going to be, next week we're going to be looking at lamenting. See, prayer Part of prayer is lament, and we don't like that part of prayer. We don't even, frankly, know a lot about that, about sorrow, about grief, about um, looking at the the world and and the challenges of our world and, and lamenting that which has gone wrong, lamenting that which has gone wrong in our lives, where we've where we've just made missteps or kind of walked away, lamenting is part of what it means to pray. We're going to be talking about, uh, about, about resting in God's presence, you know, lingering. 
and I realize, I realize that there are, that there are action-oriented people, right? Like, not everybody is a reflective, contemplative person, right? Totally comfortable sitting down at the river, sitting on a park bench, and just lingering in God's presence. Some of you are going, please, no! <laughs> like, can't it be something else? Like, shouting out as I go down the mountainside on my mountain bike, or, you know, like, those of you who are, like, eights on the Enneagram or whatever, you're going, like, give me something that's action-oriented, Rob, right? And, and that's part of it. But, but we learn from Jesus that there's also this, this resting in God's presence. Uh, then, then, then there's uh, listening, Right? There's not just talking to God. Prayer is not just talking to God. That would get old real quick. No, it's, it's, it's listening to what he has to say to us, sometimes in the quiet, sometimes in the noise of life, oftentimes through his word and what he is saying to us as we soak in his word. Uh, we're going to be learning a little bit about, about persistent prayer, about leaning in, fervent prayer. And then you know what? We're going we're gonna to finish we're going to finish this, um, this time on, on prayer talking about fasting as a discipline. Something that is not talked about all that much and possibly not applied or practiced with, with a lot of disciples of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus actually, he teaches his disciples. He says, when you fast, when you fast. So, so Jesus isn't being legalistic, but he is assuming that Followers of him will practice fasting. And so we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit about that. And that's going to be, a, that's gonna be a, a learning piece for me as well. Um, and wh- why would we do all these things? Why would we learn and grow in all these things? To have a deep and powerful and personal relationship with God of the, the universe who loves us deeply. That's why. So... So let me, let me ask several practical questions to set the foundation for this prayer focus as we, as we kind of look at Luke chapter 11 here. The first question is this, do you desire to learn how to pray? The, the disciples asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray? There was a desire within them that pushed them to ask this question of their teacher. Do you share that same desire? Lord, would you teach me to pray? Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he, he's praying for the early church. And his prayer for the early church is very, very specific. He's, he, he's praying that they would know him more. Paul writes, I, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Well, that they would know what? Well, that they would be open, that their eyes would be open to God's heart and mind. How, how do you do that? Well, you, you spend time with God. Right? He prayed that their fellowship with God would become fuller and richer, that they would experience his great power in them and through them. The same kind of power, Paul writes, that rose Jesus from the dead. What kind of power is that? Huge power. Unbelievable power. Why don't disciples of Jesus often experience that kind of power? Why, why doesn't the church, the, the Western church, experience that kind of power? Maybe because we 
don't take as seriously this desire to know the God of the universe. Paul's like, not just to know about him, but that they would know him. That they would know him fully and deeply. See, if we, if we pray like this, and if, and if we kind of live lives like this, we will discover a God who is so much more than we could ever imagine, no matter what our personal circumstances or situations might be. How great is your and my desire to learn how to pray, to, to know God better? Second question, how would you rate your current prayer practices? You know, sort of the the disciplines of of a prayer life for you. Now, remember, Jesus did not beat up his disciples for their question. He didn't. His, His disciples, his disciples, interestingly enough, would have understood prayer primarily through a Jewish lens. A first century Jewish lens. So, so they witnessed many religious teachers pray publicly and repetitively. They saw that a lot. And then Jesus comes along, and he's different, and he challenges this approach to prayer. It wasn't that people, even religious people, didn't pray. They did. Rather, it was the nature or the focus of their prayer that needed realignment. So Jesus Jesus went so far as to tell his disciples not to babble on with endless words or to chant repetitive phrases that rang hollow. It's a great lesson for pastors. Jesus, he taught his disciples not to flaunt their prayers while standing on the street corner for all to to see and hear. See, Jesus Jesus was all about the heart. He was all about the stuff that's going on inside. And that changes the nature and the focus of one's prayer life. Don't be concerned about what other people are doing seen or what you're going to look like on the outside, be concerned about what's going on in here. That will lead you to a deep, meaningful, and powerful relationship with the God of the universe. So so in the same spirit as Jesus, without, without beating anyone up for how poorly we might feel about our prayer practices, or conversely, how awesome we might think we are. What's the nature and the focus of your your prayer life? And, And I'm speaking specifically here to disciples of Jesus. If you are here and you are exploring questions of faith, and this is all new to you, like, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we hope and pray that you will encounter the living God that we're singing about and talking about and worshiping. But these questions, these questions are largely, they're, they're directed to, to those who are, who are identifying as a disciple of, of Jesus. What's the nature and the focus of your prayer life? If your prayer practices are stuck at a table grace or at a bedtime prayer that you learned as a youngster, you have got a growth opportunity before you. If you find yourself focused heavily on yourself and on your needs without ever looking beyond 
you got room to grow. If you're the one doing all the talking and you have never, ever stopped to be silent before the God of creation to hear from the one with whom you are speaking, you are missing out. You are missing out. If you cannot leave the phone alone or find solitary places and times to spend with God, I think your growth is limited. And speaking of phones, it's a little unnerving when the weekly screen time stat pops up, like it did on mine this morning. And it told me, it reminded me how much time I had spent on the phone. Imagine for a moment what might happen if the same amount of time was spent in communion with God, with the God of the universe. You know, what did, what did your screen time stat show you whenever it popped up? See, if prayer, if prayer is something to be learned, then there needs to be an intentionality of how we order and arrange our lives. Things that we put into our lives and things that we remove from our lives so that we can actually learn how to pray. And if, if that's your desire, if you, have a, if you have a growing desire to learn how to pray, to grow in prayer, you're uncertain where to begin. That is a, that's a great place to be. Do not feel bad about that at all. You are welcome to the party. So beginning tomorrow evening from 7 till 8 p.m. in the prayer room, which is just off kind of the lobby here, um, you know, if you would like to grow in this aspect of your, your life and your, your relationship with God, um, I invite you to, to join us. We're, we're going to focus heavily on the application. Uh, we're not going to so much talk about prayer as we're going to do it. We don't want to be just listeners of God's Word. We want to be doers of it. Um, it could be the start of, uh, of being a part of a group. You know, if, if you're not part of a, a microchurch currently, this, you know, maybe is a first step. If you are a part of a microchurch, please apply these different elements of prayer that we're going to be talking about. Make them a priority in your group. Help one another to grow as a disciple of Jesus in this area. So, so maybe you need to take some time to, to rate or, you know, just and to be honest with yourself about, about this aspect of your life. The, the third question is this. What is your personal belief about how this creator of the cosmos feels about you? How do you, how do you really feel? Like, really? I, I want you to ask that question of yourself and answer it. How do you really, really feel? Do you believe that he is approachable? Do you really feel that he wants to have a relationship with you? That he is loving and kind? Or do you believe that he is, he is distant? Maybe cold? Um, do, do you maybe believe that he's holding a hammer ready to kind of pounce? Or, or do you see him as one who's extending an outstretched arm ready to embrace? The disciples of Jesus, they may have actually had some similar questions. Because they had an idea of what the God of the universe was like. They, they did. And, um, and it was probably overwhelming, and it was probably frightening. 
See, they had heard about the stories of Moses and the burning bush and the parting of the Red Sea. Those are powerful, powerful stories that will embed an image of this God, right? They, it, it does. They had heard about the prophets of old, the incredible stories of Elijah and Elisha. But would they have believed that they could have a personal relationship with this same God? Where they could approach him where they would be welcomed? Probably not. And maybe that's why they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Because the story that Jesus then shares with them suggests that he's reading their minds. Verse 5. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, mothers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is all tied together. This is all connected with the question that the disciples of Jesus ask. Put yourself in their shoes because they understood the context of the story that Jesus shared with them. Food was not readily available. They didn't have 24-hour drive throughs and convenience stores that they could just hop through when they got the nibblies. None of that. First century Jewish culture, they held hospitality in high regard, almost, almost like a duty. This is what you do. A visitor was to be welcomed, to be cared for, regardless of the hour of arrival. And most ancient homes had only one room, unlike our homes. So to approach a neighbor in the middle of the night to ask for some food meant risking waking up the entire family. That's a dilemma. A late evening guest, no food, and a one-room house. What's the host going to do and how bold is he going to be with his neighbor who has woken him up? Think about that. I know what I would do. <laughs> what would you do? But you know what? I'm not like our Heavenly Father. He's very, very different than me. And he's very, very different than you. And then Jesus says, it's not even because the neighbor was a friend. 
that the host gave him everything that was needed, but because he had the boldness to ask. And then he says, if you, if you and I as parents know how to give, give good and necessary things to our children when they ask, how much more is our Heavenly Father? How much more? How much more? You see, however, however you might feel about the God of the universe, about the one who has created you and loves you deeply, his feelings towards you, his desires towards you, his interests towards you are one of welcome and invitation. He invites you. He invites me into a deep personal relationship with him. He invites us to approach him freely boldly, without shame, to know him more fully, to open ourselves up with greater vulnerability, to trust him more deeply, to walk with him more closely, to obey him more fully. Lord, would you teach us to pray? So what's God asking of us? What's God asking of us? As we think about this and we maybe are feeling a little overwhelmed and maybe challenged at points, encouraged at others, just kind of all big and all-encompassing, what's God asking of us? Is he asking us to change anything in our desire to pray? Would, you know, would, do we need to take a step closer to this question that the disciples asked? Would that be on our hearts? Lord, would you teach us to pray? Is there something that needs to change in our priorities so that this this communing with God becomes more important than maybe what it is? So what is it? You know, is there one thing, is there one step that God is asking of me with the help of His Spirit? Because we can't do this on our own. It's not ours to do on our own. He wants to do it with us. So with the help of God's Spirit, what's one step I will take towards growing in my prayer life? What's God asking of us? If we're truly wanting to be doers of the Word and not just listeners, we're going to think about this, and we're going we're to ask God to start moving within us. So Lord, that is our prayer. That's our request of you today. We invite you to teach us to pray that we might know you more fully, more personally, more deeply. Lord, help us to have this desire. Would you, would you grow within us a burning desire to pursue this? Not so that we can get more stuff. Not so that we can be healthier and wiser. Not so that our families and kids can just turn out right. But so that we can fully know you and your love for us. And as we do, and as we pursue you, your promise is that you'll take care of the other things. And so, Lord, would you speak to us and encourage us today. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.